the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow is underway on this Tuesday edition. Across the Outkick network that includes streaming live on our YouTube channel. You can search out Outkick there. Hope you'll subscribe. Join Chad in the chat. Uh, wherever you download your podcasts, you can find Outkick programming live and on demand. Plus this great radio partner broadcasting live. Great show planned today. Chad, they're all big. Uh, but when Lou Holtz is on the docket, it means legend. crank it up a notch. When you get a legend on the show, one Lou Holtz of coaching, football wisdom, sports media, done a little bit of everything, then you definitely crank it up. Not just a couple notches, Hutton. And, and you, well said, by the way. They're all big. We approach every show like it's big. But there are some shows bigger than others. This is one of those with a chance to talk to Lou Holtz. I've never interviewed Lou Holtz before. Uh, never interviewed. I've talked with him one time in passing, but that really? was it. Yeah, that was the Never only. had a chance to meet him or interview of all the people at different media days and Super Bowls and everything else we've chatted with. That's one I was thinking about this morning. I've, I've never had a chance to meet or have a discussion with. So I'm really looking forward to this coming up 39 minutes from now. That's right. Uh, that's later this hour. John McClain will join us in hour number two. So much to discuss across the NFL as we have the final preseason weekend coming up on Friday. And then 16 days from Friday, we have the official week one. Of course, it kicks off Thursday night with Kansas City and Detroit. Kurt Schilling joins us in hour number three, plus Mike Renner, formerly of Pro Football Focus. He's in Nashville. He joins us in studio here at Sixth and Peabody with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, it's a, uh, a great day and great show planned. Plenty of headlines to hit right now with our Scorched Earth as we kick off the show. And it starts where we left off yesterday, right as we went off air at 6 o'clock Eastern. News uh, came out across the league that the Colts have granted permission to Jonathan Taylor to seek a trade. Um, this comes after late July when owner Jim Ursay, after a weekend on the Ursay bus, a big discussion with Taylor about a future of a contract or lack thereof, said, hey, we're not trading Jonathan, not now and not in October. Well, it's now August. So I guess that still uh, translates to being accurate, even though it's not. And no trade has been made yet, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough to find a a willing partner that's going to give what the Colts are apparently seeking, which is a first round type compensation. They're not going to find that, I won't imagine. Christian McCaffrey didn't find that a year ago, um, but they want the equivalent of that in draft picks. But you also are trading for a running back who is currently on the physically unable to perform list, apparently with an ankle issue, uh, may just be a contractual issue. Uh, and then the Colts were even saying uh, we, we're contemplating putting him on the non-football injury list at the end of July based on a, a quote-unquote back issue. All of this comes full circle now where Taylor and his agent can go out and see what the compensation would be compared to whatever the salary is with $4 million for the upcoming year on the final year of his deal in Indianapolis. The Colts need him, but they currently don't have him. And based on this news, Chad, it's apparent that he doesn't want to play there. He's not going to like what he finds out, is my guess, uh, with the open market and what he's going to make elsewhere and, and everything else. Now, is, is, is the relationship so damaged with Ursay that it doesn't really matter? You know, he'll make a little bit less or make the same, and he's not going to get that contract he wants ultimately, but it's better than you know, working for this organization or this guy based on where things went south with, with them, maybe. And maybe that's all he wants to accomplish out of this. But 
I don't think this is going to end the way Jonathan Taylor thinks it's going to end. If, if the goal is simply, I, I can't work for you. I don't want to be here. I'm upset. This is a toxic place for me to be right now. Then, yeah, getting a fresh start could change your mindset, and he's going to be a good running back for someone. But is this going to somehow flip the running back market and change it into something that's not currently if he goes somewhere else and tries to negotiate a long-term deal with another team? I don't think it is. But it could succeed in getting him out of Indianapolis, which right now that may be the only goal for Jonathan Taylor and what he wants. It could. If you think of potential suitors, I mean, the guy is I – mean, his he's it, it's not disputed – what he means on the football field. In 2021, he averaged five and a half yards per carry and was on the pace for an MVP-like discussion. Last year, injuries, he had the setback there, plus that the franchise was in disarray. He averaged four and a half yards per carry last season. He apparently failed his physical to begin training camp, which is why he's on PUP. So you have to go through all of those hurdles before a team actually trades for him but, Chad, it, it's uh, later in the show, I'll, I'll list three teams that I think kind of make sense, but none really do based on the way the roster's set up currently and teams are set at that position and the value of the position. It's tough to find the run-first offenses. And when you do, it's tough to find the run-first teams that lack a Jonathan Taylor-like back. There are some, not many. Base salary of $4.5 million, some teams can absorb that. Do they want to trade a second, a third, and a fourth, and then a next year's fifth? That's what McCaffrey, that's what the Carolina Panthers received in return for San Francisco. I No, they're not going to get that in return. And Indy also needs a running back. That's the other issue with this. Their depth sucks. So they've got to find a potential suitor that's willing to give up maybe a back that they just drafted, maybe a third or fourth round pick from this past year, to invest in Taylor for the long term. That's the difficult well, part. Anxious to see your teams you, you're going to match them up with. I always look at it with a move like this with someone this good that's demanding this much at this position. It's one of those you're a running back away type teams. That I feel like you could say that about the Bills a number of years. A really good NFL running back away from being an offense that's going to be nearly impossible to stop. If you're one of those teams that's trying to win a Super Bowl, and that you're just a running back away from doing so, that's where the market should should be. That's where you can get the most. But I, I, I can't pinpoint it's those tough. Super Bowl-worthy teams that we really feel like could win it that is a quote-unquote running back away for Jonathan Taylor from them winning a Super Bowl. So anxious to see the teams you have listed for Taylor a little bit later in the show. Huh? And I'm curious why the Colts haven't just said, hey, play for us on this, and we guarantee you that we won't franchise tag you. A year from now, we'll move on and part ways after what could be a good season. Again, uh, a lot to come, and he may not even be able to find the potential trade partner as the Colts sit back and, and fine him for not showing up if, in fact, he's able to pass a physical and get off PUP. Chad, the Buccaneers, they didn't start uh, Baker Mayfield this past weekend uh, in their second preseason game. They will in game number three because they've named him their starter. Baker Mayfield... We thought it was an obvious conclusion when he signed there that he would be the starting quarterback unless they decided to trade up and draft one of the quarterbacks in this April's NFL draft. He's named the, the, the QB1 now. Todd Bowles said, Baker is our starter right now. That was the quote. Kyle Trask has received a lot of reps throughout camp. They informed Trask of the decision before they informed Baker Mayfield about this. They gave Trask a ton of reps, and he's played very well. 
Um, here's the here's the real hurdle for Baker Mayfield, in my opinion. He's got to lead. That has not been the case in Cleveland. That was not the case in Carolina. And yeah, he led briefly in December for a bad LA Rams team that ultimately led him into a competition against Kyle Trask this preseason. It's a foregone conclusion we can say that he's the starter in Tampa when he ultimately went there. But for how long? He has to have this team believe in him and believe that he's the guy to follow. Other players in the league haven't followed him as the leader of the offense. If he can do that, he can remain Tampa's starter for the long term. It's a one-year contract, $4 million roughly base with a potential to earn eight. It's a low-risk, high-reward deal for Tampa Bay. It could be a very long season for the Buccaneers, though, if things turn out the way they have at the end of the Cleveland reign and the short stint in Carolina. So much has happened since a year ago when we were going into the 2022 NFL season and Baker Mayfield was trying to reinvent himself as the Carolina Panthers starting quarterback within that same division. That feels like four years ago now. Deshaun Watson serving the suspension, the the bulk of the season. Game one, remember week one? Cleveland Browns, Baker's old team against Carolina. Hyped up game. Here comes Baker, Baker's revenge against the team that discarded him for Deshaun Watson, this guy facing all these sexual assault allegations that's going to be suspended for the bulk of the season. That was the storyline going into week one, how quickly that faded and turned into, can anyone salvage Baker Mayfield ever again? He did a good job with the Rams, but now this is the, to me, really the second chance at complete reinvention for Baker Mayfield. Guy who had some success as the number one overall pick with the Browns, had some success, got, got him you know, a playoff win, did some okay things, but ultimately, as Hutton said, was not the leader that Cleveland needed. He was not good uh, in Matt Rule's offense with the Carolina Panthers. Did not work at all. And I like Baker Mayfield. I think he is set up to fail once again because this is not a good Tampa Bay Bucks team, and guess who he's following from a leadership standpoint? Tom Brady. Not going to go well. If the goal is now to be the leader of this team and to take over and show everyone that, that you're Tom Brady from a leadership standpoint and get people to follow and show that you can be a franchise guy, I think his back is squarely up against the wall coming into 2023. I didn't think that a year ago as much. I thought he would do better. I thought, hey, this is a good spot for him to be in. It wasn't. Is another landing spot in the NFC South a better spot? Don't know. But outside looking in, I don't think it's a – good position for him at all right now because of who he's following in Tampa. Just feed Mike Evans, feed Chris Godwin, and then they have a couple of rookies uh, to add depth at the wide receiving position. Not much of a run game there either for Baker currently in Tampa. And who knows, maybe we eventually see the quick trigger and they go with the hot hand, which has been surprisingly Kyle Trask, as crazy as that sounds. Chad, uh, as crazy as this sounds, a preseason game atmosphere in the NFL felt like a playoff atmosphere. Uh, last night with the Commanders and Ravens, Ravens had the 24-game win streak in the preseason. You know, the, the meaningless streak that everyone was aware of. And I would contend if you took the camera shots from the Washington Commanders crowd and then the celebrations at the end of this game, the way Washington was celebrating, and you didn't tell us it was a preseason game, but you said, is this preseason or is this a chance to get into the postseason? 
or win in the postseason. I don't know if you could tell a difference. That's crazy. Kind of dumb, but it's crazy to think about as they celebrated in Washington with new ownership and what was a very entertaining game that came down to a defensive pass interference call, 4th and 11, kept the drive alive. Washington goes, goes down and nails a field goal, and they end up winning by one over, over Baltimore and snapping the streak. It's either a great start to a new era and a new regime with Josh Harris, now the controlling owner <laughs> of the Washington Commanders, in a moment that we'll look back on and say, that was it. That field goal and that moment <laughs> snapping – uh, the longest preseason winning streak going. That was the moment we knew the commanders were headed in the right direction. Or it's going to be a punchline for years to come. That, man, we probably should have known that the Josh Harris tenure was not going to go great when they celebrated that preseason win over the it Baltimore was, Ravens. It was also like a, also a celebration of the fact that they don't have Daniel Snyder there anymore. Absolutely. You know, there's a weight lifted off the entire no, organization not, and the fan look, base. I, I'm, I'm it was a fun, fun game. I'm having but, fun with it. I, I, I say that. As, as, yeah. But there, it will be used against them in jokes. No doubt. If they're not doing anything and they're, everybody's saying, you and just the celebrated handshake. the preseason, you know, the snapping, the preseason win streak. Which, by the way, Regardless of how stupid it is <laughs> I know. or meaningless, it's damn impressive. <laughs> it's crazy. And I, I'm I'm watching that game last night. We'll talk more about it later. I, I tuned in. I wager a little money on it as well. It's one of the reasons <laughs> I tuned in when I saw that the Washington had the ball late. But that's neither here nor there. It was entertaining. It was uh, most of the time when I hear uh, announcers talk about something that's meaningless and act like it's really good. It's usually posturing. By them, I hear this a lot if you just skip around and watch the the local broadcast of NFL preseason games. Man, this is just a really good football game. You know, this is all things aside, this is a great football game. I'm thinking, eh, it's not great. Last night when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were kind of joking but saying, this is the best preseason game I've ever called. I, I'm not saying that as hyperbole. This has actually been somewhat entertaining. I, I kind of agreed with them. Maybe one of the first times I've agreed with that sentiment, Hutton, in a, in a preseason game. Lucky for them, they haven't had to call very many no. based on uh, the top games they've been calling on Fox. I think Joe Buck even said, well, Troy, just because you've never seen a preseason game <laughs> or never called it. And Aikman said, that's not true. When I started out, I was calling preseason games. I have Practicing. called preseason games before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the handshake, too, is something we'll look back on. The Josh, I understand why Josh Harris thought that uh, the, the hand was held out there. As, yeah, as Joe, Joe Buck, Buck had his hand out for a while. a hand gesture about, oh, you've, you've ser you, have sev you own several teams. You know, you've, you've had success. And then the, the limp handshake where Aikman's trying to keep it together and not laugh during the segment at Buck when they make eye contact over the handshake that was not a handshake. I, I think it, it, it's always one of those. This is like uh, <laughs> every time I get in the shower, it's in the shower is when I think about all the things I should have texted or said in a conversation at some point. Yeah. And then I get out of the shower and I immediately text someone or I, I think about what I should say. In hindsight, Josh Harris, in the moment that he tried to give the handshake and it, Joe Buck was not actually trying to give him a handshake, in that moment, he should have made a joke about it. When they went to him, it's like, can I now, we, can we finish this handshake that I tried to give you? Instead, he tried to... Now, I, I, I grant him some, some grace here because he doesn't know that he's on camera in that moment either. Probably he's looking forward, hoping that gesture wasn't caught on camera and that they're showing the game at that time when he's introducing him because he does it in a way where he pulls the hand back so quick, Hutton, it's as if well, he's trying is, to act like he didn't have it. But this is like mid-conversation, though. Like he's, he's, he's setting up another he, – he's like responding yeah. to something that Harris had said and then says, like, and you've been successful owning other – and then he's making the hand gesture – 
while doing so. And I understand here, like just through the you know side of side eye here, you're like, oh, he's he's extending the hand, and then you know it looks like he's helping him out of a car, yeah, you know, or something. Again, but he he may not he may be looking into a monitor too, but he may not know that he's on. He may think they're still showing the field as they're talking. So maybe like maybe I got away from it, and that awkward moment wasn't caught on camera, <laughs> but unfortunately, it was caught on camera. The awkward moments though for Washington clearly uh, not nearly as detrimental because Snyder. Is no longer there. Coming up, MLS, not World Cup. That's been the discussion at least where we are. That's next in the hot mic. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Lou Holtz will join us, College Football Hall of Famer. Really looking forward to that chat about the future of college football, Notre Dame, and their stance on independence and much more. Lou Holtz also never fails. Did this all the time when he was an ESPN analyst. When he makes his picks for winners in a game or top 25, he's always going to have Notre Dame and South Carolina Weighted a little bit higher than others. Maybe in Arkansas. Former Arkansas coach also. Likes to favor the places where he once took a paycheck. And a couple, a handful of them, not just a couple, ahead of Georgia that we'll ask him about in his preseason rankings. If I made good money from those schools the way Lou Holtz did, I'd probably show a little favoritism as well. That's right. Uh, we've got uh, plenty of headlines coming up as well, uh, including right now with, uh, Chad, just the reaction to Messi in town this past weekend. Um, Spain won the, the Women's World Cup, but here the discussion about soccer had everything to do with Lionel Messi and not nothing to do with uh, Spain winning. Um, and the, the, the victory for MLS and the discussion about you know the, the tournament that so many were against, the fact that you had uh, Miami in a club that was dead last in points, and you have them turn around the way they have with seven wins, and Messi not just being a figurehead or you know a, a mascot of sorts, but so much more than that in terms of significance, value, uh, greatness, uh, scoring opportunities. He's, he's taken advantage of all of it, and he put on a show yet again as they won here in Nashville against Nashville SC. It was cool to see that you know, phenomenon of, of uh, an international superstar in sports to the level of Messi come to this city. Um, I, I like the buildup to it. Like, it's one of those things, it's, it, it's weird. And th this happens at times in sports where the buildup is better than the event. Like, I found the buildup to, man, both these teams won. They're going to play for this, this tournament's championship, the League's Cup. In Nashville, and Messi's going to come to Nashville, and now let's see what the ticket prices are doing. And the ticket prices were sky high, and it became a celebrity affair. Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon's an owner of the club. One of them, you know, she's presenting the trophy before the game. They're taking Instagram photos. There's other celebrities all over the place. The buildup was awesome. Now, it would have been a bit of a wet blanket moment had you know Messi not played a lot or not played well or not really sparked in that that match or it was a blowout one way or the other, the match did deliver. Yeah. I mean, Messi scored you know, through five guys in just a magic trick of a goal. Uh, they go all the way to, to goal keeps in the end on penalty kicks. Um, 
it was it, it was it was a, it, it was a fun game in the final to watch. in the final seconds they miss off a post yeah uh in a, a thrilling finish in regulation that ends up going to to penalties so it, it absolutely delivered um and again i, I keep going back to this because i i watched it on apple tv i just think that their production value it if was, they are someone who buys espn i could watch in, them do anything the shows they put on i mean whether the shows are well written or funny or not they're always well produced and well done, very professional. And I, I feel the same about their MLS coverage and felt the same about that event. Now, is it a little over the top, you know, when the announcer is, uh, you know, having a, a, a seizure on air about Messi winning another trophy in the first ever League's Cup championship? I mean, I, I think it's a little bit much, but I also understand the significance of him in the United States playing in the MLS and making this club in Miami something from nothing. I mean, if I so that that if is I watch any international broadcast uh, of a different language, and I'm watching soccer, a goal is treated the way that they would treat Messi in the MLS now. So I, I understand the the fever pitch for promoting that. Uh, it's just a different, it's a totally different approach to sports as you and I know it, Chad. Yeah. And, but but here's the thing: like in terms of global popularity. Uh, just person for person on the planet. Where does Messi fit on that list of, oh, yeah, that's Messi? I mean, it's it's right there at the top. If you start listing off, you know, other than, like, the Pope, <laughs> who would it be? Uh, Taylor Swift? Yeah, he's up Globally? There. You know, and then he's delivering the same way. Like, I haven't seen a, a, any, a main headline other than the money that the other superstars are taking from Saudi. Meanwhile, he turned it down, and he's making a headline every every match for Major League Soccer. A huge victory for them, not just for Messi. Yeah, it's a big deal, and I don't. Uh, I, I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate here, also, but it is amazing to me the amount of people I know that are big sports fans that barely know who Messi is. If yeah. you said the name, I, and honestly, like if we polled American sports fans. What was his last international club he played for? But they, Not what country is he from. What was his last club? What percentage would know? 25? Maybe. But 20? They, but the, here's the other thing, too. I don't know many people that are really diehard soccer people, soccer fans. But they were paying attention to this soccer match. Yeah, and look, I'm comparing it to more of the global superstardom. Yeah. Like in the 1980s, if you said Michael Jackson... Um, you may not be a, a diehard music person, but you could put on, you know, Thriller, and you yep. would know that was Michael Jackson or have heard it. Taylor Swift today. If you played Shake It Off, they'd say people could connect the two. If you had his record of clubs he played on and tried to compare the two, most people wouldn't know. Most people in the United States would not know. But they, they, would, they would have heard the name. But with him traveling and doing these things, yeah. that will grow that audience in the significant I'm not trying to be anti be, I'm not trying to be anti soccer dude here. I'm just saying I still well, know a lot of people who hear Messi and while they know the name, they really don't know sure much about the him. Detail. They just know the name. Well they know they bring And the I crowd. think to compare him to like a Taylor Swift, I mean, you could not like music and hear Taylor Swift and then I'd play her top four songs and everyone would have heard them and know exactly what they are. Chad, think about the range of emotions while we're on soccer of uh, Carmona, who's the winning goal scorer in the World Cup for Spain, and then finds out uh, that her father uh, had passed away after the final was complete. 
the range of emotions there uh, I can't begin to grasp based on the celebration and the fact that you're that player who delivered for your country and you're winning the World Cup only to find out that you know your father has passed within the time frame of you being there and being able to learn of that info. Yeah, it's really sad because you always think of these moments in sports where it's it's the the, the height of where you can go, you know, winning winning a title. And then to think about that's really cool for that person. You watch the celebration, you watch the joy of it, the relief of having worked so hard to get there, and then to know that that is always going to be the memory of when they found out their yeah. father died. It's the answer. Like, what's what's the greatest day in your life? It when you won the World Cup, right? Yeah, for a, for a, and, a young but, athlete. And then what's the worst day? I don't know her history, but that this would also be up there if it's not number one. It's very close. Not knowing her backstory all that well. Well, there's even lesser stories I know of people who are big fans of a certain team and they remember a parent dying yeah. or a sibling dying based around a game of that team. Oh, my team in college football, the NFL, beat this team in a big upset. And that's when I found out dad was in the hospital. The timestamp. Or mom was, or something happened. And that timestamp is in your mind. This young woman's timestamp of winning a World Cup for her country is going to always coincide with her father passing away. That, that's really sad to me, that, that part of it. Fair or foul uh, with the Spanish uh, football president uh, laying a kiss on the lips to. Uh, in celebration, um, you know there are certain. You know, I remember the Tom Tom Cruise is with. Uh, let's see, they with the Royals during the Top Gun Maverick, which it, it was the one. It, it was one of the uh, yeah. It was like the red the carpet London, events, the London premiere. And he like reached out and tried to touch the princess or did something that was. Like not, it was. It Did was, he kiss her hand, or he like put I think his he arm just, around her? I, uh, yeah, I think he just touched went in for. He went in for the touch without being welcomed. You know, yeah, the they proper have to way. offer. I think the royal has to offer her hand, or he like leaned in and gave her like the peck on the cheek. Yeah, and it was a big international crisis. It's like the two kisses on the cheek. Some, you know, I don't know. I, like, I think this is more. It was, it was it, Kate is, Middleton, is, right? Yeah, is this customary? And we're looking at it as foul because. We're viewing it the same way the, the British would view us or Tom Cruise for trying to dare touch a royal. I think it's definitely way more European to kiss people than it is an American custom, right? Now, typically, the European kisses are on each cheek and not right. on the lips. <clears throat> I've done quite a bit of research with this. Uh, Jennifer Hermoso is the young woman who was kissed by the president of the Spanish Soccer Federation. And here's a still photo of that kiss. Now, people around the world, there's uh, outcries calling it sexual violence. There's, you know, people saying this, like it's the fact that he grabbed the back of her head the way he did and wouldn't let her go and gave and put a kiss on her lips. Yeah. That it's sexual violence. She didn't see it that way. She, she just explained it as, look, people got excited. You know, this is uh, just simply a case of we're celebrating a World Cup win, and he, he, in his excitement, he kissed me. Now, she did say, I think, on an Instagram live feed or something, I would have preferred that it did not happen. I don't speak Spanish, or I would give it to you in her Spanish that she said it in, but I don't. But she said, you know, yeah, I'd prefer it didn't, but I, I'm not upset about it. Said that he has been 10 out of 10 in terms of how he's handled the team and everything else. She has no problem. Everything's been above board. 
the guy just got excited and, and gave her a kiss on the lips. Do I think it's odd to get excited in celebration and grab a woman by the face and kiss her on the mouth when you were her boss? Yeah, I think it's a little odd. I think most people would think that. I think she's saying that it's a little bit odd. Do I think it's an international crisis or call for him to be fired or whatever, or, uh, arrested that I've seen online? No, I don't think it's that either. And she doesn't seem to have a big problem with it. It's I, funny, though. Yeah, it's, it's just strange. Like yeah. that, that was my reaction to it. It was strange, the reaction that so many had uh, globally to Tom Cruise, you know. And I was just like, what? It, it's, just not, it's just not custom. There's a great um, old SNL sketch, Hutton, you may remember. It's like in the era of Adam Sandler and Dana Carvey. It's like early 90s, and they play guys. I think Kevin Nealon's in it, Rob Schneider. They play these Italian guys yeah. at an Italian restaurant. And, yeah, no, Kevin Nealon brings in his girlfriend to the restaurant. And it was <laughs> whoever the host was, the woman hosting. But they were just over the top, like licking her neck. <laughs> Grabbing her arm and kissing it up and down when they <laughs> greeted her the whole time. And, you know, it was just explained away as, oh, this is oh, just this their is culture. <laughs> this is what they do. And they'd come and take the wine order and, like, put their tongue in her ear and do all this crazy stuff. And the husband's getting upset as it's going on. But she's like, honey, it's fine. This is just what they do in this restaurant. It's their culture. I thought about that when the Spanish president kissed her on the lips. Chad Stanford wants to kiss ACC, the ACC on the lips. Uh, it's just uh, just customary to not want any rights fees. They, Stanford has reportedly told Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State that it has informed the ACC that it is open to joining the conference without receiving a media rights payout for multiple years. This is through the Associated Press. Um, so you've got ESPN paying $240 million and uh, through the conference that's through 2036 stanford by doing this the only way i can wrap my hand around uh, my head around this chat is they're not going to be locked in to any term contract and they can let the dust settle while also remaining relevant and building their value instead of just the mountain west becoming the pac-12 or vice versa what what good is this if you're just saying, hey, yeah, we'll do it for free. If Stanford would do it, why won't Cal do it? Why wouldn't Oregon State or Washington State do this? Specifically Cal, given the fact that they were at least brought up in the ACC meeting. No revenue split it's, needed. It's, it's what you have to do to secure your future. You need to sit on the table. We have now gone through this enormous college football game of musical chairs, and we see the ones left without a seat. And there's only, uh, right now, there's no seats left. But if you could snatch a seat or create a seat and sit down in it for the future of your college football program, you do it. Even if that means not taking money or taking less of a share. That, that's the situation these programs are in right now. It's just, it's odd to know that Apple's final offer, the floor was $25 million annually. That was the floor re reported. And now you have, Stan uh, three weeks later, you have Stanford saying, um, we're here to inform you that we would take nothing. We've told the ACC that. ACC thinking twice about bringing this up again in a call. And, hey, would Cal be on board? Would SMU be on board with this? They apparently want their name out there. They apparently also weren't brought up in the call when Florida State, North Carolina, Clemson, and NC State voted no on Stanford and Cal 
joining the ACC. Let's make it football only. That's my lone request. Let's add some of these cross-the-country type teams to a conference. I'm fine with it if it's football only. Yeah, and while they're making these decisions, you've got Oregon State and Washington State on hold because they need to wait and see what happens with all of this with decisions they're trying to do. Coming up, football only. Lou Holtz joins us. The legendary coach joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, we have been looking forward to this for a while. The legend, the college football Hall of Famer. Lou Holtz joins us here on the Outkick Network. Coach, it is, it is great to, to have you on the show. And before we solve all of college football's problems, uh, how are you? i tell you what, I'm going to be 87 soon. But uh, my health is good. The physical stature, not so much. I have trouble walking, et cetera. I have to go to the Mayo next week and get surgery on my head. They uh they're going to have trouble fighting the brain, but it's nothing major. You know, major surgery is what it's on you. Minor surgery is what it's on somebody else. But I, I'm fine. I'm really blessed. Coach Lou Holtz with us, and thank you for joining us. When, when you have sat back and watched the recent movement across the college football landscape, what are you thinking to yourself? Oh, thank God I'm not in coaching today. <laughs> They're really ruining college coaching football and i'd say that sincerely in two respects number one is the transfer portal you know alabama which has great recruiting has 16 uh, transfers this year georgia has like 50 it goes on and on you can't tell who's going to be good you look at the top quarterbacks they all played for somebody else last year you look at Bo Nix, who went from Auburn out west uh, you look at mike pettick who went from indiana out west so it goes on and on and the other thing is this pay for play i've always felt an athlete should be paid if he worked at walmart or had mcdonald's but not to play college football you learn in college football that you go there to get an education why do they have sports at college because one of the great educational things that you can do you learn to be uh, a teammate, you learn to be competitive, you learn to overcome adversity, you learn to be patient. And that's what the transfer portal, I think, really hurts. Uh, a player, if he doesn't have instant success, he goes immediately somewhere else. So one quarterback has started at Southern Cal one year, Georgia the next year, Tenna, West Virginia last year, and I think he's going to start for some, some team race maybe this year. Four different teams. That's not the way college football should be. You learn patience, you learn perseverance, and you learn to overcome adversity and to wait your turn. Coach, tell me if it, it's it's fair here. I, I Over the last couple of years, and specifically this offseason, there's a lot of complaining about the setup uh, from multiple levels. There, there are uh, a lot of discussions and ideas about problems that are facing college athletics, specifically football. I don't hear many solutions thrown out there. Are, is it just simply coming down to college football, and we'll just narrow the focus to football, that they lack the leader, the, the leadership that is taking them to wherever everyone is saying it doesn't need to go or should be going? Well, that's what my son, who coached for many years in college, said, we don't have a commissioner. We don't have anybody to tell you what's right, what's wrong, or, or do this or that. I used to love baseball. I mean, 
to this day. I can give you the starting lineup for the Cleveland Indians in 48 or 54, both times they made the World Series. But I don't follow it anymore because the teams change. You can't tell who's going to be on a team from one year to the next, and you lose the loyalty. And the same thing's going to happen in college. The, the alums get attached to a different athlete and look forward. Well, he, he's a sophomore. Boy, wait till he's a junior. He's gone somewhere else. It's become... It's just become absolutely absurd. I think that we need to go back. We need to go back the way college football was originally because it was the greatest uh, educational experience an individual could have, and it prepared them for life. I never felt I coached football. I felt I prepared them for life. Coach, what what did you make of the Northwestern situation with Pat Fitzgerald, and what was your stance on hazing when you were leading different programs across college football? Well, I was at a fraternity and I went through hell week and I wasn't going to have anybody do that again. You know, you build the morale and you build team together, but you don't have to do it by harassment or things like that. When it first happened to Pat Fitzgerald, I felt very, very bad because he did so much for Northwestern. I mean, he was a great player. I coached against him when I was at Notre Dame. He's a great player. Then he did a great job as a coach. He's been there forever. And then all of a sudden, this hazy comes up, which I don't think he had anything to do. No, and Pat, I don't believe he would have those decisions. That was done by somebody else. But be that as it may, they made the decision. They then called my son and asked him to come and be a counseling coach for the new one because he was a young coach. He's only been a defense coordinator in Division II school. I said, just skip, don't do it. That's not the right thing. He said, well, I'm going to talk to him. I said, well, Donald Trump said if you don't walk away from the bargaining table three times, you're going to lose. And, and anyway, I, I talked to him a couple of times a week. He, he's doing well. He, he said that uh, the attitude's good, the morale's good. He said, but he doesn't know how good the talent is. They're going to find out they open up against Rutgers. But he enjoys it, but he's only going to be there until January. And then he'll leave January, and he'll go back again with the Birmingham Stallions and the USFL, which he has won two championships in a row. What do you think about Marcus Freeman, uh, the job he's trying to do right now at Notre Dame, and opening a season in week zero in Dublin, Ireland, uh, with the Irish? We get to look forward to that this weekend, Coach. I, I look forward to it also. I talk to Marcus Freeman quite often. I, I really enjoy him. I think he's the right man for the job, and here's why. He's obviously a good football coach, but he understands Notre Dame. He cares about Notre Dame, and every time he talks to him, he has Notre Dame in his blood. I think that is such an important ingredient for anybody to coach there. I think it, in 96, I took the Notre Dame football team overseas in Dublin. We played Naval Academy. We are fortunate enough to win, but more importantly, we went over there about four days early. It was the opening game. By going four days early, we went to Trinity College. We visited monasteries. We visited churches, but more importantly, the players lived with one another. They're in a foreign country. They get to know one another. It builds morale, et cetera. And I think Notre Dame could be pretty good. Once again, we go back to a transfer quarterback, and it's important that they get him from Way Force. He's very, very good. He started for six years, I think, already. And uh, But Notre Dame's two quarterbacks transferred out. So it's just crazy. But I, I think that Notre Dame would be fine. Although opening up with a new coach, a uh, new offense, or say they're going to throw the ball more, the defense was pretty good last year. Notre Dame struggled with them last year. We beat them, I think, 34-31, something like that. But I don't think it'll be that close this year. Notre Dame still has a lot of advantages. Obviously, they have the history. They've got the media rights yeah. deal with, with NBC. 
They got a lot of things going for them. Brian Kelly leaves for LSU, and he says in the press conference, because I want to go win a national title. And he didn't think he was able to do that at Notre Dame, but he can in the SEC at LSU. What did you make of those statements and the move from Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU? Well, anytime you say I can't win a national championship, you did it. Win. I'm telling you, if you can't win one in Notre Dame, you can't win one anywhere. Why didn't he win one in Notre Dame? Because he'd never be the top 25 team. The schedule was so watered down that when they got up against a real good difficult team, they could really adjust to it. Remember what happened to him when they made the playoff against Alabama, et cetera. But he, he did a great job. Make no mistake about it. He's the winningest coach in Notre Dame. Did a tremendous Could not win the big one. Now, you hear that all the time about coaches. But he did a tremendous job at LSU last year. I, I think that uh, he would have to explain why he didn't think he could win one in Notre Dame. You have a great academic situation. You have good recruiting. You can go anywhere in the country and compete against the in-state school. You can go to Ohio and compete against Ohio State. You can go to Florida and compete against Florida, et cetera. And they have great facilities. They, they got their indoor facilities, their offices, everything about it is first class. There's nobody in the country that has better facilities than Notre Dame. Now, when you can recruit, you have great facilities. They give you everything you possibly could want. You have to believe you can win. And, and I'm sorry he didn't win one, but I tell you what, it's been too long. Notre Dame, uh, you know, people say, would you rate Lou Holtz National Champs 88? I rate that. Screwed 89, 90, 93. But if we had the playoff then, we, we would have had a much, much better chance because the media, just like you said, well, Notre Dame has a NBC contract. They have this, they have that. they got to be so much better than anybody else, to be fair. It took Georgia 41 years between titles. Uh, Coach Lou Holtz joins us. You've caused quite the stir with Bulldogs fans, ranking them fifth in your uh, preseason uh, top 16 coach. What do you, why do you have the Bulldogs uh, below the likes of USC and Bama to this point? Well, number one, when you start making up the the, the rankings, you're, you're playing a game because of transfers, everything else you don't know. But let me tell you this. Georgia lost their offensive coordinator, uh, who's now with the Tennessee Titans. He was a graduate assistant for me. Uh, and, and then they lost their outstanding quarterback. I mean, he was great. Yeah, they still have good athletes. They're going to be very good. But I just think it's hard to win three in a row. Nothing against Georgia, but I think that when you look at who's going to be number one or who's the top team, you go by conference. You, let, let's take the Big Ten. The three of the best teams in the country are all in the East Division of the Big Ten. I'm talking about Ohio State, Michigan, which I think would be very good, and of course Penn State. And they haven't even gotten to Wisconsin yet. Then you go to the uh, go to the SEC. You have Alabama, you have Georgia, you have LSU, but you also have Tennessee and South Carolina. I think it's going to be a dark horse. Then you go out to Far West, which hadn't really been in championship playoff for a long time. But you got three great teams here. You got Southern Cal, which if they can improve their defense, then they'll be very, very good. You got Washington, you got Oregon, and I haven't even covered Utah, which has won the conference the last two years. And then you go to the ACC. You got Florida State, which has really come back under Nordor, a tremendous job. You have Clemson, which is always very good. And you have Notre Dame. Notre Dame has three games, which they will have to struggle. The other nine, they should win easily. The three are they, they play Clemson, they play Ohio State, and uh, they play Southern Cal. 
If they win two of those three, they're going to be in the playoff. Make no mistake about it. I think they're capable of doing that. So, I and then you get to the uh, Big 12, which really is hurting right now. But Texas should be pretty good. Uh, Oklahoma should bounce back. I don't think it. Uh, what happened to uh, the championship game there, TCU getting blown out like that. But Kansas State's a good solid team. So I look at when you pick it, and you can't say. Now, I'll tell you what, by the second week, I think I will be qualified to do a much better job in picking them. No doubts. Uh, more qualified now than so many, Coach. Uh, Coach Lou Holtz uh, <laughs> with us. Uh, what are you up to with the AFPI and, and Athletes for America? Well, uh, it's called American First Policy, and uh, we're having an event down in uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale on Thursday. I'm going to do a, an interview on uh, Friday in Boca Raton. But let me tell you what this is all about. It, it's about having athletes pray to play. Uh, you know, 38% of the adults don't believe in this country, have no faith in it. 18% of individuals. And we're talking about that what people have done, they polar, polarize sports, and it should be. Sports is the one thing that should be all American. You should talk about it. I, I said this to our football team, and I, one of the smartest things I've done, I said, man, if, if you want to promote gay rights, God bless you. You want to promote uh, women playing against men, playing against women, that's fine. You go to, but you aren't going to use our team to do that. We're going to promote one thing on this team, and that is no University of Notre Dame. You want to go do it on your own? God bless you, and I will help you, and I will encourage you all you want. You have that right, to, but you don't have the right to bring that into sports. And I believe that strongly, and I believe it today. And if more people took that stand, we wouldn't have some of the problems we have today. If you're going to kneel, you ought to kneel to pray to God. Coach Lou Holtz uh, saying it true and best. We. we... <laughs> Sports should be the escape. They were, and they still are, as long as we allow it to be. Coach, uh, appreciate you for the visit. Hopefully we can do this again down the road. Well, I tell you what, if we don't, it'll be because you don't call me. I enjoy being You're very well prepared. You ask good questions. And I don't know how much longer I can still play. But, you know, I'm not very good physically. But one of the advantages of being dull mentally all your life is when you get dementia, people can't tell it. <laughs> uh, you're certainly far you're, from you're, that. You're very with it, Coach. Yeah. We, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing this today, and best of luck with the event th later this week. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Coach Lou Holtz there. Uh, well said. And The man's yeah. got a better memory than I do. Yeah, uh, reciting the, the Cleveland yeah. roster from 49 and 50. Yeah, I, let's, that's, uh, let's go. We all we all hope to be that clear no and doubt. To speak that way when we're 87, if we get to 87. Coming up, a streak ends, and Jonathan Taylor wants to be traded. Which teams are the best fits that could pull this off? That's next.